We are in part 21 of this series, looking at the year of wisdom. I know it says 20. Uh, I noticed that last night and said, I'm going to have to change that before tomorrow. And here we are. Maybe I'll do it in between services. But today we are transitioning. We've, been, we've spent 20 weeks in the book of Proverbs looking at wisdom. Now we're going to spend six weeks looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. And now I look at it and I think it is maybe one of the most misunderstood books in the entire Bible by Western Christians. And uh, so we're going to spend six weeks trying to get a grip on this book and try to understand uh, what exactly it is that it's saying. And so I thought maybe the best way to sort of start this lesson series and this lesson would be by just reading to you the entire first chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. I don't often read this large a chunk of scripture all together at once, but I want to give you a feeling, all right? This is the sort of the, his introduction to the rest of the 12 chapters of the book, okay? So the first chapter of Ecclesiastes, I have the first three verses on your uh, lesson sheet. I didn't, I, couldn't, I didn't have room to print the whole thing, so if you want to open your analog paper Bibles over to Ecclesiastes chap, chapter 1, or if you've got a device like this, just scroll on over there, and uh, here's chapter 1. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come, generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here is something new, but actually it's old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past. And in the future generations, no one will remember what we are doing now. I, the teacher, was king of Israel, and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything that had been done under heaven. I soon discovered that God had dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really, it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. What is wrong cannot be made right. What is missing cannot be recovered. I said to myself, look, I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. But I learned firsthand that pursuing all this is like chasing the wind. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. Chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes. So how are you feeling? <laughs> it's a lot like the weather this spring, right? It's like, what is happening right now? What is what? We, we wonder, why is this book in the Bible, right? Because it seems completely different than every other book of the Bible, and it is. And we'll get into that today as we sort of get into this introduction of this book. Uh, but beyond that, you know, we're like, we're like, okay, so it's in the Bible. Why are we spending six weeks on it? And the reason we're spending six weeks on it is because 
if we spent 20 weeks on it like we did Proverbs, I don't think we'd survive it. It's like we've got to get in and we've got to get out. But I also want to say I don't think that you have to look at the book of Ecclesiastes as the most depressing and discouraging book in the entire Bible. As a matter of fact, I don't think that's the way the original readers would have seen it. I don't think that's the way that that non-Western readers see it now. I think we are sort of a unique culture, and when we look at this book, we see something nobody else saw, and we miss what everybody else saw. And so what we're going to do today is we're just going to start out by sort of introducing the book, uh, defining a couple of terms that I think when we get a grip on what these terms mean, right, not, not their English definition, but what the writer intended when he wrote this down, I think it will change everything when we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, at least it did for me. So that now when I read this book, like I read what I just read to you, the first for, for the majority of my life, I would read that and I'd be like, I, I would feel like I should be crying during this whole thing, right? Now when I read it, it's like I have the opposite reaction than I used to and maybe than I'm supposed to. Let's watch this. Hey. <laughs> I wonder which ones are the other clowns. You'll know soon. They're all gonna jump out of a little hearse. (laughs) This is a funeral. A man has died. We came here to show respect, not to laugh. I'm sorry, Mayor. No more jokes. My friends, any man's death diminishes me because I am involved with mankind. Therefore, ask not for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. (laughs) Chuckles the Clown brought pleasure to millions. The characters he created will be remembered by children and adults alike. Peter Peanut. (laughs) Mr. Fee Fi (laughs) Fo. Billy Banana. (laughs) And my particular favorite, Aunt (laughs) Yoo-Hoo. And not just... Not just for the laughter that they provided. There was always some deeper meaning to whatever Chuckles did. (laughs) Do you remember... Mr. Fee-Fi-Fo's little, little catchphrase. You remember how when his arch-rival, Senor Kaboom, <laughs> hit him with a giant cucumber and knocked him down? Mr. Fee-Fi-Fo would always pick himself up. <laughs> dust himself off and say, I hurt my feet. <laughs> Life's a lot like that. From time to time, we all fall down and hurt our foot. If only we could deal with it as simply and bravely and honestly as Mr. Fee-Fi-Fo. 
And what did Chuckles ask in return? <laughs> Not much. <laughs> in his own words, a little song, <laughs> a little seltzer, Donnie. <laughs> Excuse me, young lady. <laughs> yes, you. Uh, would you stand up, please? <laughs> please, please, won't you? <clears throat> you feel like laughing, don't you? <laughs> Don't try to hold it back. Go ahead, laugh out loud. Don't you see, nothing would have made Chuckles happier. He lived to make people laugh. Tears were offensive to him, deeply offensive. He hated to see people cry. So, so go ahead, my dear. Laugh for Chuckles. <laughs> That's sort of what reading Ecclesiastes is like. You know what I mean? You're like, how should I be reacting? When I was reading that first chapter to you guys, you guys, every once in a while, you'd laugh because it's like, this is, this is so ridiculous. It's, it, it's, it's almost funny. And to a certain extent, to a certain extent, I think that was what Solomon was trying to do. Uh, so to try to get a grip on what exactly it is that Solomon was trying to do, we've got to kind of define some terms and, and introduce uh, the concepts of this book before we start diving into the six toughest questions that human, humans have to ask themselves, because that's what this book is about. He asks six different questions, and then he... Well, we'll talk about that as we go through the point. So a couple of terms that I want to define before we move on in the next few weeks to these, well, the five other uh, toughest questions uh, for the human. And that is, the first one is Kohelet, okay? Kohelet or Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is the Greek word. Uh, Kohelet is the Hebrew word. And basically, this is uh, what what the writer, what Solomon is calling himself. Now, Ecclesiastes, what it means in Greek is teacher. And so that's the way that most of these uh, translations uh, sort of define this word. But it's a really tough word to define. I'm going to call him the professor, okay? And you'll see why here in just a second. But Kohelet, that's just the, the Hebrew equivalent of Ecclesiastes, or at least as close as the Greeks could come to translating this Hebrew word. Nobody's quite sure how to translate it. And I've told you before, if you're trying, if one way to know if the English translators are having a tough time with an incredibly complex biblical word is to look at how different English translations, how they define that word. So the, the, I just read to you from the New Living Translation. He, in that, the, the translators use the word teacher. And that's the way most modern uh, translations render this word. In the Living Bible, Ecclesiastes 1.1 says, The author, Solomon of Jerusalem, King David's son, the preacher. 
Now, that's not really a very good translation, and that's why most of them now don't go anywhere near that word, that, that, that title. Because a preacher, literally what that word means is, I proclaim the good news. That's what that word means. And that is not what Solomon is doing here, okay? Solomon is not delivering the good news in the book of Ecclesiastes, all right? So preacher isn't a great uh, way to put it. Uh, even teacher, teachers are there to disseminate information. That is not really what he's doing. What he's doing is he is bringing up these six toughest questions that humankind has to face, anticipating every possible human response to, like, I mean, basically all of them, we're going to deal with the question of meaning today, and that's really what the whole book is about. And then he says, here's one thing that people will say, I find meaning in this. Let me just rip that argument to shreds. It's like he doesn't give any answers, right? He, all he does, he asks questions, he anticipates our possible responses, he rips them up, he pokes holes on them, he throws them on the ground, and he stomps all over them, right? And so people are left looking. It's like, who, what, what is this guy's role in the message paraphrase? Eugene Peterson's uh, paraphrase of the Bible, Ecclesiastes 1.1, these are the words of the quester. David's son and king in Jerusalem, right? He, he, Eugene Peterson sort of pictures Solomon as a Don Quixote type figure, right? Sort of traveling through the land and, and, and seeking meaning himself. I don't think, you know, all these people are smarter than me, okay? They're not sitting around saying, Ed doesn't agree with me? And, and it's not keeping them up at night, all right? They'd be like, who's Ed? What are you, what are you even talking about? But I've read a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of commentators this week that said, the, the role that Solomon is playing in this book is the role of a college philosophy professor, not teaching a class, but leading a seminar. And what, what he's doing is not answering any questions at all. He's just raising every, all of these tough questions, anticipating our responses, and shattering Whatever kind of possible idea that we come up with to say, well, here, here's my answer to that question. It's like he's just destroying every human argument that you could possibly come up with, okay? So I'm going to call him the professor because that's what I see him doing in this book. The second term that we need to deal with is a, a, term, a word called hevel. And I'll just fill in the blank for you before I move on and say, hevel is not meaninglessness, okay? Uh, this word pops up over and over and over again throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's translated again in all kinds of ways. In uh, the translation I just read to you from the New Living Translation, Ecclesiastes 1-2, everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless, right? So that's one way that this word, is tr this word hevel, is translated. In the Living Bible, in my opinion, nothing is worthwhile, everything is futile. In the New Century Version, useless, useless, completely useless, everything is useless. The King James Version, older translations, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. This one always confused me because when I was little, my sister Connie had this white thing that she called a vanity. And it had a mirror that she would lift up and she would look at and stuff and she had all her makeup in there and everything. So when I heard that, I'd be picturing, I'm like, everything's a vanity? What is, what is that even talking about? But now even you look at that and you think, you know, when I think about vanity, I think of, you know, Carly Simon, you're so vain, 
right? What does it mean to be vain? It's like, is that what hevel means? How does vain and useless and meaningless and futile, how do all of those things sort of, how do all of those things somehow mean the same thing? Eugene Peterson's uh, paraphrase of this, this passage from the message, Ecclesiastes 1-2, smoke, smoke, nothing but smoke. There is nothing to anything. It's all smoke. And that is literally what this word means. Hevel literally means, if you were in a town and you saw, uh, saw smoke, you'd say, look, it's Hevel. That, that is literally what that word meant, vapor. Uh, I read one commentator that said, the picture that Solomon is trying to give us is, it's like, have you ever watched children chasing bubbles? You know, even if you've got a bubble machine that's making tons of bubbles and making really big ones, kids are chasing after them, right? Because they want to catch one. If I could just catch a bubble, my life would be complete, right? That, that's, that's, sort of the, 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 that's sort of what's going through a kid's mind. And as soon as they get to one and they catch it, it's gone, right? Just like smoke. You can't grab it. You can't hold on to it. It, is, it has no substance. It has no, no weight to it. So when you read the word in the book of, of, of Ecclesiastes, meaningless or useless or vanity, He's not saying, he's not literally saying it's all meaningless. What he's saying is it's all just smoke. It's all formless. It's, it's got nothing to it. It can't bear up under the weight of a human's search for meaning. That's what Solomon is going to say over and over and over again. He's going to bring up all of these different philosophical schools of human thought where, where people have said, I'm going to find meaning here. And he goes, and he will, he, will, he will shoot holes in every single one of them and say, when you finally get there to, to the bottom of it or to the top of it, whatever it is, and you think, I finally got it, you haven't got anything. Let's watch this. It's Gozer. I thought Gozer was a man. It's whatever it wants to be. Well, whatever it is, it's got to get by us. Right. Go get her, Ray! Go to the Gozerian! Good evening. As a duly designated representative of the city, county, and state of New York, I order you to cease any and all supernatural activity and return forthwith to your place of origin or to the nearest convenient parallel dimension. That ought to do it. Thanks very much, Ray. Are you a god? No. Then... You're a god, you say yes! All right, this chick is toast!
It. You know what that means? A complete particle reversal. And we have the tools, we have the talent. It's Miller time. Ray. He's about to say, this looks incredibly bad, Ray, right? But what they find out, that when, when Gozer disappears, that's Hevel, right? That's like, I thought, I thought we had her. Hey, they're going to find out they didn't, but the, I thought we did. Nope, it's gone. And that's what Hevel is. Third thing that we need to understand about this book is the phrase, under the sun. Okay, this is the key, I think, to the entire book, to us understanding this entire book. He keeps talking about what happens under the sun. In Ecclesiastes 1 verse 3, what do people gain for all their hard work under the sun? And what he's talking about is apart from God. Right? He's not saying hard work is always meaningless. That's not what he's saying. He says if you are trying to base your life on something apart from God, from what, from what, from what is above the sun, then yeah, you are going to find nothing but hevel, and then your life will become meaningless. And just in the first chapter alone, he brings up several philosophical schools of thought for humans who say, yes, there is no meaning to the world. Everything is, that exists, it just exists under the sun. There's, there's no God. There's no heaven. There's, no, there's nothing above the sun. It's just what we have here under the sun. But here's where we can find meaning. He brings up at least three of them and just chews them up and shoots them down, just very briefly, and then he will just dive into all of these different philosophical schools of thought as he goes through the rest of the 12 chapters of the book. One of those schools of thought is, now we call it humanism, right? The idea that, yeah, there is no meaning, everything is just what we have here under the sun, but I can find meaning Sort of, by just doing good to people, living a life of integrity and courage and compassion in spite of the, in the face of, the, of the, the cruelty and the senselessness of this world, right? That's one way that some people kind of try to find meaning in a world that they believe has no meaning, that it's all just accidental and random and so, but I can find meaning here. And what he says is, yeah, you might be able to do that for a little bit, but don't, don't dig too deep. Don't think too much about it, because if you do, you will start scratching below the surface, and you will find it's all hevel, and it has made your life meaningless. Nothing changes, he says. Everything, the, the world keeps going around. Nobody leaves a mark. Nobody does. It, uh, there's another school of thought, uh, hedonism, right? And hedonism got a bad name in the 70s, because if you take it to its logical end, it's extreme, it becomes very dark and very ugly, right? But it... it, it the idea is a beautiful one, right? I'm going to just enjoy 
the simple pleasures of life, a good meal, good music, a good movie, a sunset, right? The beauty around me, the love of my family, right? That, that it is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with it. But what Solomon says is, it can't bear up under the weight of human meaning. It can't. It will crumble. And if you dig too deep into that school of thought, into that search for meaning, everything, you'll find it's empty, and you will find that his major life meaningless, is what he says. And that's really what the existential philosophers of the last 200 years have come, have come to the agreement of. They say, yeah, there is no meaning here. Even all these schools of thought that, that, that humans have come up with, that they said, maybe I can find some meaning here. Yeah, you can if you don't think too much about it. But if you dig too deep, it, you will see everything is meaningless. Everything. Everything's empty. Nothing can bear up under the weight of the search for human meaning. C.S. Lewis has this fascinating uh, essay that, where he talks about this. And, and he says... It's really interesting that humans have, they, 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 they get thirsty, right? We get thirsty, but thank goodness there's something called water that can quench that thirst when we get this deep need for something to quench that thirst. We get hungry. Thank goodness there is such a thing as food that when we eat it, it satisfies that hunger. He goes on, he talks about several different things that humans have this, this sort of, uh, th this hunger, this need for, and hey, look, there happens to be something in this universe that meets that need. He says, how strange it is that the, that the existentialists say humans need meaning, but it doesn't exist. There is no such thing as meaning. As a matter of fact, that's one of the things that really troubles the, the existentialists when they start digging very deeply they're like, yeah, it is very interesting that humans seem to have this need for, for meaning, but we all know it doesn't exist. Every other need that a human has, hey, there's something in this universe that will quench that thirst, that hunger, that need, except for this one thing the philosophers say, meaning there is no, there's, there's, there's no source of it. You, you just can't find it. And if you dig too deep and think too much about any of these things under the sun that humans have come up with, it's just going to crumble underneath the weight, the sheer gravity of this deep need that humans have to find meaning in their lives when it doesn't exist. And what, well, I mean, Solomon makes the same exact argument. You, you think you're going to find meaning here? Let me tell you what that looks like. You think you're going to find meaning here? Let me show you what that, I tried that. Let me show you what that looks like. He's just blowing things up left and right. And what he says at the end is, not only are they empty, not only are these things hevel, and you'll get there and it's like a bubble, catching a bubble finally, and it's just gone. Not only is it empty, it, it's destructive. Let's watch this. This looks extraordinarily bad. Oh, no. What? Destructor. Oh, I get it. I get it. Oh, 
very cute. Whatever we think of. If we think of J. Edgar Hoover, J. Edgar Hoover will appear and destroy us, okay? So empty your hands. Empty your hands. Don't think of anything. We've only got one shot at this. The choice is made. Whoa, whoa, whoa! The traveler has come. Nobody choose anything! Did you choose anything? No. Did you? My mind is totally blank. I didn't choose anything! I couldn't help it. It just popped in there. What? What just popped in there? I, I, I tried to think. Look! No! It can't be. What is it? It can't be. What did you do, Ray? the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. Well, there's something you don't see every day. I tried to think of the most harmless thing. Something I loved from my childhood. Something that could never, ever possibly destroy us. Mr. Stay Puffed. Nice thinking, Ray what Solomon is saying. He says, choose. Choose the form of your destructor, right? Because no matter what you put your faith in under the sun, it not only is it going to be empty, but it will, it, it'll just, pretty soon it will become so unstable under your feet, it will collapse under the weight of human meaning and your life will collapse with it. It's almost like he says, Oh, you think you're going to find meaning by just being a good person and just trying to leave a good legacy behind? Good thinking, Ray. You know, yeah, let, let me show you what that leads to. Nice thinking. You're a smart person. Oh, you think you're going to find meaning by doing this? I tried that. Good thinking. Yeah, you're, you, he does it over and over and over again. And we think, well, isn't he going to give us any answers? He does sort of at the end give us one little ray of hope, and that leads us to our fourth and final point. Solomon, the book of Ecclesiastes says meaning is found only in fearing God. Only in fearing God. Now, that doesn't mean being afraid of God, right? We talked about this as we went through the Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is, is this awestruck wonder that God could care about me the way that the Bible says that he cares about me, that he sees me the way that he sees me, and when I start to see him for who he really is and see myself through his eyes, that leads to this fear of the Lord that leads to a life that, is, that just wants nothing more than to honor him. So in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, at the very end of the book, he says, here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Now, I used to read that and think, well, that doesn't sound like good news either. You know what I mean? It's like I'm supposed to be afraid of God and, and do everything he says, and even then he's still going to judge me? That sounds terrible. But see, that's not what the original Hebrew readers would have seen. What they would have seen is Solomon saying for 12 chapters, 
Everything, it, everything under the sun is just cyclical and it doesn't make any difference at all. It just goes round and round. It, you won't leave a mark. Nobody leaves a mark. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters. Not only is it all empty, it is meaningless. If you build your life on any of these things, that, hopeless, 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 hopeless. But, there, but then at the very end, he says, but that's not the way it, it, that reality truly is. In reality, life isn't cyclical, it's linear. There, there was a beginning, there will be an end, and in the end, God will make everything right. This, this universe had a beginning and an end and has a destiny, so does your little life, Solomon says. So does my little life, Solomon says. And that is the only place you will ever find meaning according to the professor. Right? He spends 99.9% of the book saying, question, 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 just nothing, 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 but there is hope. Really, Ecclesiastes, if you were going to put together the Bible in the order it should be read, maybe this should be at the very beginning because it's the only book that doesn't offer any answers really much. And then at the end of it, the rest of the Bible spends the entire time answering all of those questions over and over and over, especially the Gospels. Solomon wasn't the first or the only philosopher to look at life under the sun and say, it's empty, and if you build your life on any of these things under the sun, your life will be meaningless. He wasn't the first one. Greek philosophers, if you've ever studied Greek philosophy, they tried everything to find something to, to, that, to build their lives upon that would bring meaning. And we'll talk about some of those things, right? Humanism, hedonism. Uh, they, there were so many isms, it's just almost impossible to keep track. By the time you get to the first century, they've, they've kind of come to this conclusion that there's, there's nothing, there is no meaning. They, schools of thought like cynicism and stoicism and, and skepticism started to come up because what they were saying is, yeah, there's no meaning. There's no meaning, and if you built your life on any of these other ridiculous isms, you're an idiot, because if you dig too deeply, you'll see it's just empty, it's hollow, right? They would sit around and talk about, they were, what they were looking for was the logos of life. That word, technically, in English, is translated as word, but what it meant was, in the Greek language, the purpose of something. They would use it, you know, if you talked about the logos of a hammer, it was to drive nails, if you talked about the logos of a saw, it was to cut wood. If you took a saw and used it outside of its logos to try to drive nails, it didn't work and it messed up the saw. And if the saw had feelings, it would be miserable and in pain, right? And so they would say, don't use anything outside of its logos. They'd, they, so they'd sit around, what is the logos of a human being? What is the purpose? What is the meaning of a human? And by the time you get to the first century, they're like, there isn't any. And then Jesus comes along. And in John chapter 1, verse 1, John writes this, in the beginning, the logos already existed, right? It says word there, but it's, it, he wrote logos, right? The Greeks would have known exactly what he was saying. This is, this is the logos. It's the one thing that doesn't come from under the sun. Matter of fact, it doesn't even come from above the sun. It existed before the sun even existed, the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. The Logos gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness can never extinguish it. 
right? John comes into the scene and says, there is a logos to human existence, and it's only Jesus. It's not a, it's not a system. It's not a, 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 a thought process. It's not a philosophy. It's a person. It's not a what. It's a who. And even the, once Jesus came, there was Greek philosophers that started saying, well, yeah, Jesus came, and he was God, but he wasn't, he, he was Hevel, Right? He wasn't, you couldn't take God and make him a human. So it was sort of this empty existence that he kind of existed, but not really. And John's like, no, 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 no. No, he was not Hevel. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, John says, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes, and we touched him with our own hands. He wasn't a bubble. He was real, and he is the logos of life. We need to stop. But that's exactly, this, this Ecclesiastes is going to keep doing this. What, here's the question. Here is the destruction of every possible answer under the sun. So what's the answer? And the Gospels, especially John and, and, and his letters and, and even the book of Revelation. John is the philosopher, which is kind of weird because he's probably the least educated of all of the apostles. And yet he is the most deep philosophically of any of them. So here's your, uh, your wisdom step for this week. Question your answers and doubt your doubts. And read through at least the first chapter of Ecclesiastes. And here's, here's your memory verse. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God, obey his commands. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that Ecclesiastes isn't the end of the story. And so help us, Lord, to see that, uh, that there is something a lot more than what exists here under the sun. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks, everybody. I'll see you next week.